G'day listeners, welcome back to the pod. We have got Martin North on our on our show today. Um, we it's been it's been a while, Martin. We had you on our pod. I think it's almost been a year as well. Uh, welcome back, first of all. Well, thank you very much. And uh, boy, a lot has changed in the last year, hasn't it? Uh, surely has. Uh, <laughs> things are changing fast in 2022 once again. So, Martin, if if you just quickly want to remind listeners on your background, and then we'll jump into full gear. Sure. So I run. Um, a research firm called Digital Finance Analytics, and that is essentially focusing on Australian consumers. And we uh, get information from those consumers on a rolling basis, and we make a lot of um, um, thoughts and modelling, and uh, you know, draw conclusions from that research. And uh, that is probably, you know, one of the critical differentiations that we have because we're getting real-time feedback from households mm-hmm. in the current environment. That's important. Then I do consulting work. I also run my own YouTube channel, mm-hmm. Walk the World. Mm-hmm. I do my own podcasts. And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to help people get a better perspective on what's going on, what's really going on mm-hmm. about finance and property and the markets, not to give particular stock picks or anything like that, but to try and give a better context so people are making better decisions, getting you know more informed decisions i get a bit frustrated with some of the uh, the spruikers on, on on youtube and elsewhere right which says you got to do this or you must do that right mm-hmm. um a lot of them of course have their own agendas i have no agenda other than i want to um help people understand more about what's going on using data and uh, and my experience mm-hmm. so before we dig into uh some of your specialization work which is the mortgage stress numbers and all that um mm. What's your take on the markets currently as a as a professional personal investor? Um, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I don't give happen. I don't give financial advice, but uh, firstly, I went to cash at the, the end of last year. Um, I decided that uh, the indicators were beginning to look a bit stretched, mm-hmm. and uh, my suspicion was that inflation was going to be a lot hotter. That meant that we would see the Reserve Bank. Uh, in Australia and indeed the Federal Reserve Bank in the US having to lift interest rates. Well, the Fed did, RBA yet to. Uh, and then, of course, we had that significant slide in stocks over the first uh, couple of months of this year. Mm-hmm. Then we've had a bit of a recovery, but that recovery is very fragile. And I actually think we're still in a bear market. I think we're going to see prices continue to slide further south. Mm-hmm. Um, a few reasons. One is uh, as the Fed turns off the stimulus, that's going to have an impact in terms of uh, uh, valuations. They're going to come back. Mm-hmm. Interest rates are going to rise. That means that the cost of funds to corporates are going to be higher. That's going to be a funding pressure. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we've got the broader questions around Ukraine, uh, the various international relationships. China, of course, is a very important um, connection point to Australia in terms of trade. Mm-hmm. And we've got a few issues that uh, look like going there. So my own view is I think we're in for a difficult time in the markets. That said, I'm a value investor. In other words, I look for opportunities that are going to be long-term holds, not trades. Mm-hmm. And there are some sectors that are beginning to look more interesting now as we've come back, but I'm pretty cautious. And I'll probably um, hang on the sidelines for the next few weeks and perhaps months whilst I wait for things to shake down. My experience, I've been through four or five corrections. My experience is that it's sometimes a good thing to be out the market and just wait mm-hmm. and then pounce when mm-hmm. you go back in. And if you look, if you look at the Great Depression, you know, more than 100 years ago, a lot of people who made the best returns were actually out of the market 
until things crash and they bought distressed assets. So I think there's probably a good strategy there, but we'll have to wait and see how it all plays out. The unknown quantity is to what extent central banks turn turtle and say, oh, we've got to cut rates again and we've got to do more stimulus. Right? Um, this time they're more hamstrung because of the inflation. Mm-hmm. So interesting. Before we jump, there's a few things that I want to touch on that you just talked about. One is mm-hmm. you mentioned that some of the indicators towards the end of the year were looking pretty hot and that made you pull the trigger to get yeah. off the markets. Yep. Uh, do you want to drill into what indicators are you mentioning? <laughs> yeah, so look, I, I tend to look at um, you know, the typical things, the price to earnings, um, and, and you know, everyone was expecting earnings to really bounce higher this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I looked at some of the results coming through um, last time around, and when I was asking myself, well, where are those revenue stream growth areas going to come through from, I started to get a bit suspicious that perhaps – things were a little bit over the top mm-hmm. um, because on an absolute basis, you know, most shares are still relatively fully valued relative to their future cash flows. And of course, if interest rates go up, future value is discounted. Mm-hmm. Right? So if you take tech stocks, right, some of those tech stocks have not yet made any profits, right? So what it basically, <laughs> what it basically means is your income is going to be in the future, if interest rates go up, that value is reduced. And that means that the value of those stocks should be going down as well. So, so those were some of the things that I looked at. And then the other factor was I was worried about China. And uh, China was at the time signaling slowing growth. We had the Evergrande situation and the, you know, the property sector in China looking pretty sick, still mm. looking pretty sick today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so put all that together, plus the fact in my own surveys, Mm-hmm. I had a lot of households who were saying, well, the cost of living is still rising. Mm-hmm. And we don't have the discretionary spending that we had to mm-hmm. buy stuff. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking, well, maybe then retail will be a bit, bit weaker. Maybe uh, we won't see those um, you know, significant returns. So you know, there were a number of indicators. But for me, the critical one was the change in the weather with regard to inflation and the change in the weather with regard to future interest rates. Mm-hmm. So let's talk future interest rates for a second. Now we yep. saw Fed increase their interest rate by 0.25 percent, right? Yes. Uh, and they they are talking about another six to seven rate rises. I think seven in total that they, they mentioned. And, and Powell this week said some of them could be 50 basis point rises. Correct. Market is rising in a 50 basis point. I think around May. 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 That's right. It's the next meeting. Yep. Yeah. So. What is your take on that, uh, knowing with what's happening in the markets currently, right? Do you think that they'll actually be able to raise rates or it's more, more of a job warning? Uh, I think that they are really quite concerned about the rate of inflation now. Right? Mm-hmm. If you look at all the statistics, what's happened is that inflation, which started as a series of supply chain disruptions, mm-hmm. spilled out more broadly. Mm-hmm. And the latest figures in the US and elsewhere around the world, like in the UK, who reported overnight, was that inflation is really, really strong. Now, the real key question is, can you correct inflation driven from supply chain disruptions by lifting interest rates? Mm-hmm. Right? Because normally, inflation is something that you would do um, you'd see in terms of wages growth and prices, and then you, what you'd want to do is to reduce demand. And, you know, so th- there's a bit of a disconnect at the moment between what the Fed is saying, that inflation's a problem, and, you know, we're going to lift interest rates, and whether it will really have much impact. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, I think they will go on doing it. I think they've they've set their course, and um, you know, um, some of them uh, around the FOMC are pretty vociferous about the need to lift rates higher. Mm-hmm. But we also have a slowing economy, mm-hmm. and the uh, inversion of the yield curve suggests to me that in fact we could be in a situation where recession is over the hill. Now, if recession is starting to appear in an inflationary environment, that's really bad news because that could be stagflation, which is the worst of all worlds. Or it could be that they have to turn turtle and reverse course and then take rates lower again. And I think we discussed on an earlier show, that means that they would potentially get into negative interest rates, which is uh, not something that uh, I would want to countenance, but it's certainly feasible. So I think in the short term, rates are going to go higher. Mm -hmm. I think that the Fed put, in other words, the fact that the markets always felt that the Fed would bail them out, it's probably been turned down or at least off for a little while. Mm-hmm. But I think there'll be a question as to at what stage do the Fed starts to get twit does the Fed start to get twitchy about mm-hmm. the future trajectory of markets? Mm-hmm. Because of course the markets are very much connected with financial stability. So it's complex. I think the Fed have backed themselves into a corner, but I think in the short term they're going to put rates higher. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Now, you just mentioned about the inversion of the yield curve, right? Mm. So, uh, yeah, when you look at the 2 and 10, uh, I think it's already there. Only it's, it, yeah, it was, I mean, it's very close. Last time I looked, it was a few basis points different. But, you know, typically what you'd expect in, in a normal environment, longer rated bonds would actually have a higher return, right? Because what you're doing is you're locking up your money for longer and you would expect that to, to return. So if you're in the situation where the longer term bonds are signaling rates at or lower than near-term ones, Mm -hmm. that's a problem because that basically tends to signal a recession. And in fact, if you look carefully, the last few recessions have been preceded by inversion of the yield curve, either 210 or 310. Mm -hmm. We're in that situation now or close to it, which suggests to me that some of the people in the markets are beginning to worry about whether in fact the impact of interest rates plus maybe Ukraine, plus everything else, the supply chain disruption, et cetera, et cetera, high debt, is all pointing to a slowing of growth or even a recession. Mm-hmm. Now, that would be pretty uncomfortable if we had another recession. Mm-hmm. So three tenths are already there in water as we speak, right? Yep. Two is not far at all. Yep. We're almost there, 0.2 maybe. Yep. Which one from... A macro perspective when you're looking at the recession picture, do you do you more go with the two ten or because uh, the academic papers talk about three month to yeah. ten years, right? Now <laughs> that, that one is nowhere near. No, no, no. I, well, I tend to go for the three year ten, so the three year and the ten year. I think the two the two year is a bit too close, uh-huh. um, so I tend to look at the three ten. So the three ten is is definitely inverted at the moment. Right. Fair enough. Um, so. Knowing, knowing that, that it's already inverted, right? And Fed is uh, already, and Fed hasn't even started raising rates. They're only just starting to, right? Yep. Um, yep. That clearly signals something. Yes. Which is what you've already mentioned, are down the hill. Yeah. And if you look, look carefully, you know, some of the other indicators like confidence levels of consumers and even their spending is looking as though it may be coming off. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, if you look carefully, you can start to see some of those indicators that suggest that things could be a little um, more concerning ahead. 
Um, now, you know, the US economy is still pretty strong and the Federal Reserve keeps saying it's ever resilient and we've got, you know, massive jobs growth, et cetera, et cetera. And, mm-hmm. But if you look carefully below the surface, even things like wages, wages for some sectors have moved quite strongly, for others less so. So, yeah, if you strip it back, there are still some leading indicators of, of trouble ahead. And remember, as you say, the Fed has just started to lift rates. That means that funding costs for some corporates are going to go up. That's going to mean that they're going to have to worry about that, um, which meant, may mean that they will actually throttle back their investment. Mm-hmm. So there are a number of early leading indicators that suggest to me that maybe um, a slowdown rather than the acceleration of momentum is what we're going to see. Right. Okay. Um, so so that's, that's, the, that's the yield curve inversion part, right? Mm. Um, if it was to stay like this for longer, it's pretty safe to say, and you already mentioned the word stagflation that they, and this can change tomorrow depending on what happens with the global picture every, yeah. every day is a new day here yeah but if if we are in a stagflationary environment what do you see outperforming in the just as that this is none of this is obviously financial advice this is you and me talking as an investor sure. right? please where, where do you see the market which market do you see outperforming uh, in yeah. this period well, stagflation is a real uh, is a real issue because basically what it suggests is on one hand you're going to get higher unemployment, mm-hmm. you're going to get very little wages growth, but you're going to have prices continue to run away. Mm-hmm. So you'd be looking for sectors who have more control over the prices of their goods and services, mm-hmm. right? So maybe some discretionary sectors would would say, well, we can still charge a lot more. Mm-hmm. Plus, there are some sectors where you, you've got to go on buying. You know, you've got to go on buying fuel. You might buy less of it, but you're going to still have to buy fuel, for example, or food. Mm-hmm. So some of those areas potentially would still continue to perform mm-hmm. relative to other sectors. Um, some other sectors, I mean, I would expect credit to slow down. So the banks might find that their rate of momentum in terms of new lending would, would, would fall off a cliff. And they would have higher bad debts potentially. So maybe the financial sector we want to, to steer away from. Mm-hmm. Um, and in terms of commodities, um, you know, some people will maybe say, well, maybe gold is the way to go. I'm not convinced as some as to gold is the, uh, the safe haven that uh, everybody talk about talks about. But, uh, um, you know, there are other commodities that potentially still will be there. But with all of these things, you know, if recession spreads, if China goes into recession too, they might suddenly stop buying as much iron ore. So that's why it's always very uncertain. But but there are definitely sectors where you would say they have more pricing power, they have more ability to pass those prices through to anybody who wants to buy those products or services, and those are the ones that they're looking for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a valid argument, a valid argument that you can make around whether gold as a commodity will, is really performing or not with the expansion of the sheet, balance sheet, and uh, um, even with this Russia-Ukraine situation, it hasn't really done much, even though it went up a little bit, but it hasn't done. Well, I mean, it, it was drifting around 1800. It's now, what, 1940, right? Yeah. Um, you know, many people who were gold bear, bulls were saying, oh, two and a half, three thousand is where it should be at least, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think there's any chance in the short term it's going to get anywhere close to that. It is, it is not behaving as um, the safe haven asset that people a few years ago would have thought. And there's a couple of reasons potentially. One is 
Um, gold's price is very much now being manipulated by the overhang of derivatives. There's a 51 relationship between derivatives and underlying. So mm-hmm. there are a lot of speculators taking positions on either side of the, of the price. Mm-hmm. It didn't used to be so much. So that's the first point. The second point is there are other asset classes, and I feel like you could put crypto in the in the bucket if you wanted to, um, where people might say, well, I might prefer to go, go there if I'm going to do something. Um, and thirdly, um, if you think about the various ETF products that are now very much a significant part of the market, there are more hedging structures that aren't directly related to gold, but indirectly related to gold. And so some people are actually going to those rather than gold itself. So all of those factors, I think, are part of the reason why maybe gold isn't behaving like um, we might have expected to previously. Right. Okay. Um, do you think it could be partly because of this, because of this whole new digital gold concept, which is Bitcoin, or and it has performed last year pretty well. This year, it's down fair well, bit. Well, it's sitting around, you know, top range of forty-four, bottom range of what thirty-six is where it's been for the last little while. Mm-hmm. Um, I am not as convinced as some. We're going to see a massive breakout of Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple of reasons. One is, of course, that in some countries now it's it's sort of being turned off, like in China. Um, but one of the other important things is the central bank digital currency developments, which I think are very significant. And certainly here in Australia, we've had now in the last couple of days um, more details of the regulatory environment that they want to bring in to essentially further control cryptos and how they're used. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's also a separate stream of work on central bank digital currencies, a retail central bank digital currency, which a year ago no one was expecting here in Australia. Mm-hmm. So my own feeling is that um, crypto is going to evolve, but I think the central bank digital currency stream is actually going to be probably more significant ahead rather than Bitcoin itself. Um, now, central bank digital currencies, of course, are controlled. Um, Bitcoin is meant to be not controlled, but... The other point I make about Bitcoin is, if you look carefully, there are many larger corporate investors investors now working in Bitcoin, including some of the, the investment banks. Mm-hmm. So, in fact, they're now doing precisely the same they did with other asset classes, which is to create derivatives and create you know, ETFs around Bitcoin. So Bitcoin is no, no, no longer this out-of-the-market, completely different thing. It's now sucked in. It's behaving much more like mm-hmm. um, the other um, assets in the marketplace. And in fact, if you do some correlation between the dollar and Bitcoin, um, you'll see that there's more correlation than there ever was. So I think that what we're starting to see now is Bitcoin behaving more like um, other assets because people are seeing it the same way. That is interesting because it means it's unlikely then something to fly, fly off and you know, go into 100,000 or more. That's an interesting take. Let's talk on digital currencies for a second. You mentioned about central bank digital currencies, right? Yep. So, uh, yes, they're in the pipeline. They've been talking about it. And won't surprise in the next six months if we see a trial in US or in Australia, whatever it is, right? Um, but how is a central bank digital currency uh, any different to the paper money, right? It's it's still centralized. It's still controlled. It's just a digital form, right? Whereas you can argue that. Uh, specifically talking Bitcoin, it's more of a, uh, uh, it's not controlled by anybody as such. Uh, It's it's independent, it's decentralized kind of thing. So what what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I agree. There is a fundamental difference between the the likes of Bitcoin, which is, as you say, devolved and decentralized and uh, no, no one is in control. Although regulators around the world are getting more and more worried about 
how they get control of Bitcoin. You know, like in China, they're basically banned it and they're putting in the central bank digital currency equivalents in China already. Mm-hmm. Um, in other places, they're putting more regulation around crypto exchanges. You know, the, the know your customer rules are a lot stronger than they were a few years ago. Um, and there's actually changes to the tax regime in Australia to make sure that people understand that there are actually tax implications of trading in Bitcoin, right? Whereas previously, if people thought maybe they could not get caught, but they probably won't now. So that's already happening at the margins. Mm-hmm. The central bank digital currency is more about the bank, um, you know, RBA here, Fed in the US, wanting to maintain that control of the whole monetary system, right? Mm-hmm. And I suspect it's more a reaction to the fear of losing control through the decentralized digital currencies and Bitcoin and the like. Mm-hmm. Plus, and this is the other point that I always come back to, if you need to take rates negative and you're a central bank, if you don't have an ability to stop people pulling money out of the banks, it'll never work. So you almost need to have more control of people's use of money. Mm-hmm. And the central bank digital currency gives them the perfect story to be able to get more control. So that if you want, if you know, you can then say, well, we're going to reduce the value of your digital currency by 1% a year or something like that. They can do that, right? You can't do that with, with, with standard money. So, so there are some significant reasons why the digital version of, you know, the current, current money mm-hmm. is seen by a number of regulators and people like the IMF as a critical next step mm-hmm. to maintain control of the monetary system. Mm-hmm. Gives but- you much more flexibility in terms of going to negative interest rates, mm-hmm. Maybe you have to go minus four, minus five if you want to get the same kickers in the early 2000s. Can't do that without digital currency. So my my mind, this is all connected with monetary policy. And almost to the point where you will have some limited choice only as to whether you participate or whether you won't. And look, if you ever end up with um, helicopter money come from the central bank to try and stimulate the economy, they might even put it in your central bank digital currency account at the central bank and say, if you want to access it, it's there, right? So they can almost sort of force people into it. So I fear that and I fear the implications and I fear the loss of privacy and the loss of transaction anonymity. But it does seem to me on the on the table. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Now, you did mention that you still think that the correction is not over with the stock market and yep. possibly before the correction, right? Um, what makes you, one, what makes you say that? And two, how will you, or what will sort of indicate you that, yes, this correction is actually now uh, close to being done or over, basically, and we are back in the bull time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, that's a good question. So I, I come back to price earnings ratios. They're still extended relative to where the prices are. Um, I would want to come back to more normal values. Uh, I just don't see the, revenue side growing anything like what would be implied from the current price earnings ratios. So if we started to see very strong revenues on a broad base, I might change my tune, but at the moment I don't see it. Uh, The second is that um, if you look at market depth, so it's how many people are in, how many people want to be in, a lot of the big guys are still sitting on the sidelines, so they're not actually active. Who's very active? Retail traders at the moment, retail uh, investors. A lot of those are very inexperienced. They've been in the last year or two, you know, Robin Hood and all those sorts of things. So a lot of the 
deals that are being done at the moment are being done by people who really are being, frankly, over-influenced by meme stocks and you know all the other stuff. It's not really anything other than froth. Mm-hmm. So if I started to see some of the bigger guys change their tune and reduce their cash holdings and start to come back in the market, that might be another indicator. But interestingly, again, a lot of those are still saying, no, 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 that we think there's more there's more downside. So they're still out the market. They've um, you know, gone to other asset classes to protect their situation. Mm-hmm. I think the third one is if we started to see interest rates fall again, because interest rates, as I explained earlier, are connected to the value of stocks. Mm-hmm. If interest rates went down further, then we might see another leg up. We might even see the Federal Reserve throwing more liquidity into the system. If that was ever going to happen, again, there would be a suggestion that you need to reset your valuation parameters. Mm-hmm. And in that case, there would be another leading indicator potentially of time to go back in. But none of those are true at the moment. So <laughs> I'm not. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. It's a, it's a very choppy market, if that's the right word for it. Well, look look at the VIX. The volatility index is very high. It's been consistently high. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sure, you might see a few up days, but then you see a down day. You know, the day before yesterday, it was an up day. Yes, yesterday in the US, it was a down day. Mm-hmm. Um, that's an indication. In a bear market, bear markets never go south straight away. They go up, down, up, down, up, down, right? It's just that over the, the medium-term trend is down. Mm-hmm. And in fact, it can take 18 months for it to find it at the bottom. Yeah, tend to agree on that. Uh, that's really good, uh, Martin. Uh, let's jump into the other side, which is also, which is your professional specialization as well, which is a uh, mortgage stress numbers and all, right? Yeah. Um, obviously we talked about the interest rate that um, Fed has increased their first rate and possibly possibility that Australia will re, uh, raise the rate later this year or next year, whenever that happens. In fact, if you looked at some of the fixed rates, they've already gone up, right? Correct. Um, how are you looking at the property market currently? What, what's your take, take on the property market? Okay, well, let's just cover interest rates in a bit more detail first. So if you look at the market indicators here, the current um, uh, RBA cash rate is 0.1%, right? The markets are expecting by August next year, it's going to be at 2.65%. Mm-hmm. Right. So they're looking at a very significant acceleration. Mm-hmm. Now, up until very recently, the Reserve Bank was saying they don't expect to lift rates until 2024. Mm-hmm. But they've started to be a little bit more flexible on that date and more recently have been talking about, well, maybe we could do it sooner. And in fact, recently, Phil Lowe, who runs the RBA, said it'd be really good for people to actually prepare for higher interest rates. They should probably hold extra buffers in case, right? Because it could happen sooner. Mm-hmm. So there is a bit of recognition now the RBA is going to have to probably do something sooner. I don't think that the markets are calling it right. I don't think rates will rise as fast as um, the markets are suggesting they will, but I think there will be some movement up. Now, the problem we've got is that in Australia, we have a lot of people who are highly leveraged to property, and we've touched on this a few times before. But just to give you an example, somebody getting a new loan today, the average loan size of a new loan today is about 20% bigger than it was two years ago, mm-hmm. 20% bigger, right? Incomes have not grown. Cost of living are rising. Interest rates, of course, came down, which allowed people to borrow more. But it, what it means is people are very leveraged into property. Mm-hmm. And even small interest rate rises have a profound impact. To give you an example, you could get a 1.99% loan mm-hmm. quite recently. 
And if your rate went from 1.99% to 3%, in Australia, most people have variable rates rather than fixed. So it's, it's sort of can move up. Your average monthly repayment on a principal interest loan over 30 years would rise by 15%. Mm-hmm. Right? If it went from 1.99 to 4%, the average monthly repayment goes up by 30%. Mm-hmm. Right? These, are big, these are big movements. So what it means is that people are very exposed, therefore, to interest rate movements. So if interest rates start to rise, then that's a problem. And as you said, some fixed rate mortgage is already higher. So you can't get a 1.99% fixed now. It's more, more about 3%. Mm-hmm. So you would expect interest rates to be higher. The second thing then to say is that as interest rates are higher, because of the fact that it's interest rates and credit availability that drives prices, you'd expect prices to begin to correct. Now, we've had a very strong run-up over the last year. Prices increased more than 20% according to some government statistics. Not uniformly, by the way, if you look more detail, there are some suburbs where prices didn't go up that much, but that's an average. Mm -hmm. But what's interesting is that if you look at the number of properties listed for sale, that's continuing to rise. Now, we're coming into our fall season, our autumn season here in Australia. And normally, the listings fall, but they're rising. Mm-hmm. And that's because it's clear from my surveys that some people are now choosing to try and sell and get out because they've had this price rise. They mm-hmm. want to capitalize on it. So we're seeing more people trying to sell. And as you know, supply demand suggests that when there are more people selling than buying, prices slide. Third factor, those prices rose very dramatically despite we had zero net migration into Australia because of COVID. Mm-hmm. So this was all homegrown. This was all driven by government stimulus and government incentives and encouragement for first-time buyers to come in and get a bigger loan, all those things. Mm-hmm. Um, they will go on doing that. The government will go on trying to encourage people to pull forward and, and transact because it's the only game in town in Australia, really, that and commodities. Mm-hmm. But it seems to me that we are now at the point where it is highly unlikely that we're going to see property prices grow at anything like they did over the last year. Mm-hmm. My own modelling suggests sideways or down, Mm-hmm. Units on high rise, so you know, high rise apartments, more likely to fall relative to houses because there's a more limited supply of houses, and still people quite like having the home and the land together. And uh, with the working from home and everything else, um, there's still more appetite for houses. But apartments are looking very sick, and a number of people that I've come across, apartment investors, have made nothing at all over the last few years, and in fact, are now thinking they might sell. So. More supply, prices beginning to slide, and uh, interest rates higher. That's how I read it at the moment. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's a, it's an interesting one uh, when you uh, it's an interesting one when you mentioned uh, that the property prices won't rise like they did like the way they did in the last two years, right? Yep. And this is one of the key questions that I have, Martin. That in the past, obviously, over the last 30, 40 years. We have seen property prices rise a lot, rise a lot, interest rates went all the way to zero, right? Yep. Um, I had other guests on the show as well over the period of time. And one of the questions that I had, which I'm really keen to see what your answer is, is on what your answer is on, is there's a very there's a very low chance of rates ever going much higher again. Hmm. And if that one statement or assumption is true 
do we in the future see property prices ever grow like they did in the past or is the is the property as a store of value questionable <laughs> yeah well it comes back to why did property prices rise so much over the last 230 years and i've always argued that it's the rate of credit growth that's really the key thing to understand so Credit growth is driven by two things, the interest rate, interest rates came consistently down, mm -hmm. lending policy and deregulation of the, of the finance system. All of those things happened. And we've had this um, really weird situation where the amount of debt goes up, the amount of wealth in inverted commas goes up, but it's all driven by debt. So the question is, can that continue? Well, firstly, if interest rates start to rise, it means that lending um, quantums are going to have to be tighter rather than, than, than looser. And in fact, already some of the banks have tightened their lending criteria. Mm -hmm. On average, you can borrow something like 8% less than you could at the um, most uh, opportune time, even mm -hmm. now. The second is that um, when you think about um, serviceability, you've got to think about income and costs, right? And what's happening also is that households are not seeing their incomes rise much, but they're seeing the cost of living rise dramatically. Inflation is quite high here. Mm -hmm. So the ability to service larger mortgages are also in question. Mm -hmm. So it seems to me that the only levers you've got to maintain property price growth is to take interest rates even lower, which would go into negative interest rates, as we discussed. In other words, you almost end up paying the banks to lend to keep the property cycle running. Right. Now it's, that's what the Fed, the um, that's what the ECB did. So the ECB basically has been handing money across to the banks to allow them to lend close to zero or below and uh, make profit in the in the process. Right. Mm -hmm. The other factor is that there is going to be obviously underlying demand for property, but there's still a lot of vacant property around, and we're seeing a lot of listings at the moment. So in the short term, again, it's not. I'm not sure that the conditions are there to see prices rise. And it comes back to this. If you can continue to make credit grow, either through government policy, low interest rates, or, or other monetary levers that you can pull, property prices will continue to rise. But there is a diminishing law of returns here. At some point, you can't take rates any lower. You can't lend people yet more money. They can't service bigger debts. And at that point, the game in town changes. And that's why I'm always of the view that in Australia, property prices are over 40% more than they should be relative to any long-term you know, medians that you can think about. So there's a risk that prices do start to um, correct. Now, of course, people will say, oh, but you've got my migration. Migration will come in and save us. Maybe, but you need a lot of migration. I'm not sure it's enough to save us. And then they also say, well, the governments will provide more stimulus packages. They'll provide more first-time buyer incentives or um, more stamp duty relief, et cetera. And they might, might, they might do some of that to try and keep the bubble going because no politician wants to be on watch when prices ease. Mm -hmm. But at some point, the elastic gets so stretched that it just goes ping. And I'm waiting for the ping moment. I think it's going to be quite soon now. Yeah, fair enough. Um... That's great, Marnie. I think I have asked pretty much all the questions that I had in mind. Um, any final thoughts before we start wrapping, wrapping it up? Yeah, I think just one final observation. I have never in my entire life been through a period where there is so much uncertainty out there, right? Whether you look at the markets, whether you look at people's personal situation, whether you look at the international situations with Ukraine and China and all of those things, right? The amount of stuff going on is just remarkably 
crazy. And that means that their level of uncertainty is much higher than many people, I think, are used to. That's important to understand in the context of markets. The second is the rapidity at which things are changing is also accelerated. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you might typically have expected a correction to last, you know, two, three years and then, you know, a bit of, you know, whatever. It could happen a lot quicker. So I think it's really important to be really nimble in terms of your investment decisions and thinking about the market and thinking about what to do and what not to do. And also, very importantly, this is what I do, is, is also run the counterfactual. What if you're wrong? What if things go the other way, right? So you need to protect on the downside if you think positively or the other way if you think negatively, right? Because it's almost impossible to know how all of this is going to play out. No one, despite the fact that they might claim to know it all and you know have a perfect insight and a perfect crystal ball, nobody knows, right? And then that level of uncertainty, it's really important to be a little cautious and, as I say, run the counterfactual, but also be nimble. Mm-hmm. Very well said. You got to be agile in these markets. That's that's, that's the most important thing. Um, really appreciate your thoughts, Marty. Uh, it was great to have you back on the show once again. Um, to the listeners, none of this is financial advice. Please do your own research, and we will see you guys soon again. Cheers.